Well, good morning. Good morning. Thank you. Better. And I hope you all had a wonderful, wonderful Christmas season. Um, if you are looking for Pastor Bruno, you will not find him, at least not here. He's in Pennsylvania enjoying Christmas uh, with his family, and he sh shall return. I hope he returns uh, sometime after the first of the year. Uh, my name is uh, Dennis Fay. I am one of the pastors here, uh, and it's uh, my delight to uh, share the message with you this morning. Um, it appears that it has become the tradition of this church that I get the opportunity to preach the last Sunday of the year. Uh, I think I've done this, I think, five out of the last six years, uh, and that's okay. I'm, I'm, I'm good with it. Uh, it's always a privilege for me to uh, share uh, the word with you. But every year, I, I, I go through the same thought process uh, as, a, as it relates to this message. Um, what do I preach on? I mean, we just finished a Christmas series. Pastor Bruno is going to start a new series next week. I have one week in between two series, and what do I do? Um, a lot of prayer, a lot of thinking. I obviously want to encourage. Uh, I want to motivate. Uh, I want to challenge you. Uh, so this might be a little frightening for you, but I'm going to give you a, a little thought process of how I think uh, when it comes to putting a message together. Um, let me just say this. I don't dwell on this subject. I don't dwell on it, but I think about it often. And I specifically think about this question each and every year. Is this the year the Lord will return? Is this the year the Lord will return? Now, we believe the return of Jesus Christ is imminent. That is, his return could happen at any moment. It could happen during my sermon. And some of you may be praying for that. That's, that's, that's okay. But as the Apostle Paul wrote... We are to look for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, Titus 2.13. But the scriptures are also very, very clear that we will not know the exact time nor date of his return. And that's really important because we know that there have been false teachers for years predicting a time that Jesus would return, and they've been wrong. Right? So we're not to do that. But I want to share a story of a church leader who asked some of his church members this question. And here was his question. If you knew that the end of the world would be in seven days, what would you do? If you knew the world was ending in seven days, what would you do? One man replied, I would go out into the community and I would share Christ with anyone who would listen. Amen. I hope I would do the same. Another church member replied, well, I would, I would withdraw all my money from my savings account and just throw a big party for my family and friends. Okay? I hope I'm invited. But one man surprised the church leader with his answer. He said, I would go and live with my mother-in-law at her house for the week. The church leader was puzzled by this answer, and so he asked, why your mother-in-law's home? The man replied, because this will make it the longest week of my life. <laughs> I know I will pay for that remark, so I shall move on. 
you know, as we look at some of the spiritual, great spiritual leaders of our time who've made, of all time, who've made some of the greatest impact for the kingdom of Christ, um, such as the Apostle Paul or the Apostle Peter, often we see that their lives were marked with a great sense of urgency and anticipation of the Lord's return. And, and this urgency, and I love that word, this urgency propelled them to boldly spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, this morning, we're going to look at the writings of the Apostle Peter, uh, specifically 1 Peter uh, chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. But before we look at that, allow me to pray. Our Father in heaven, As always, I thank you for this great privilege of coming before your people to pray and to speak. And Father, I pray that you would speak through me. I pray, O oh Lord, that those would hear with their hearts and their minds. But Lord, maybe most importantly, I pray that I would do justice with the word of God. Lord, I pray as always that um, the service has and will continue to bring glory to you. So, Father, we commit it to you. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, if you have your Bibles, um, or if you want to look at the screen, uh, this morning we're going to look at 1 Peter chapter 4, uh, verses 7 through 11. And first, let me just, allow me to read the whole passage, and then we'll break it down. Verse 7 starts, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another, I love this word, earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. You see, Peter wrote this epistle to a church that didn't know what tomorrow would bring. I mean, they were suffering intense persecution at that time, and they had no guarantee that they would see tomorrow. No guarantees. And this is what prompts Peter to write these, these passages that I just read, so we can live like Jesus is coming today. Or in other words, or live like there's no tomorrow. To live like there's no tomorrow. So the question, the challenge for us this morning, as we end the year and get ready to start a new year, is... How do we live like there's no tomorrow? How do we live? And so we're going we're to break these passages down. Okay? But the first thing we need to do, looking at verse 7, is we need to live responsibly. We need to live responsibly. Again, verse 7 says, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. You know, Peter and his readers lived, lived under two stressful realities. And these are the same realities we live under today. One, that Christ could return at any moment. 
Two, life could be short. Life could be short. A Christian's life could be snuffed out in an instant, especially at that time living under a sick ruler like Nero. But in light of this, one might expect Peter to act hurried or, or rushed or to be in a frenzy. But Peter is the complete opposite, and he tells his readers to be the same. Peter already warned his readers about the persecution that's coming. And let's face it, it'd be easy to give in to the fear and be fearful of the future. But Peter's saying, no, don't panic. Don't panic. Don't become either a fanatic or a doomsayer. Keep your perspective balanced. Keep your perspective balanced. Don't become obsessed with what will happen, but keep your mind fixed on faithfully following Jesus, whatever may happen. Whatever may happen. In other words, don't lose your head and don't lose your faith. But Peter goes on to say, and I love this, keep praying. Keep praying. Peter commands those who expect Christ's return to focus on keeping the lines of communication open to the Lord. Don't let what may or may not happen distract you um, from praying for God's will in your life or for even souls to be saved. Don't get distracted. And my friends, don't let the headlines of the world distract you or discourage you from trusting God to do his will in your life. We're told to stay in touch with the Lord and you do that through prayer. He says, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray, so that you can draw close to the Lord and the Lord will draw close to you. Now, as I was reading um, both epistles of Peter, uh, first and second, it kind of amazed me how far Peter has come. You know, if you remember the accounts of Peter in the Gospels, I mean, Peter would just normally just would panic so easily, or, and his judgment was often wrong. I mean, that was Peter. But in this letter, we see a more mature Peter. Because he's now learned how to trust God and he's learned how to truly pray. I mean, think back to the night in the Garden of Gethsemane. Right? Jesus was, you know, <clears throat> excuse me, Jesus prayed while Peter and the other disciples did what? They fell asleep. And when the soldiers came to arrest Jesus, Peter did two things. First, he panicked. And then his reaction was extreme. That was Peter. His reaction was extreme. Think about it. A fisherman is going to attack a well-trained Roman soldier? I mean, really, Peter? Come on. However, Jesus had been praying. Jesus was calm. Jesus was in, in control. And it was prayer that allowed Jesus to submit. And it was a lack of prayer that caused Peter to resist. Again, in Peter's epistle, Peter has learned how to truly trust God and he's learned how to pray. And see, we need to have that same spirit of prayer that Peter had. God's will needs to become all important to us because if we're not diligent in praying, we will fall asleep like the disciples as well. I am so happy that 2020, we're going to focus on prayer. Prayer and fasting. I think that's key, and I'm really excited about that.
Look at the next two verses. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. You know, like the rest of the New Testament scriptures, Peter stresses uh, the priority of love. He stresses the priority of love. And I think the idea here is to put all your efforts into loving your brothers and sisters in the Lord. And again, I love the word earnestly, because the word earnestly means sincere with intense conviction. So, in other words, we're to love one another with sincerity, all right, and with an intense conviction. This also includes that we're to love one another in times of stress. Because you know what? Relationships can be stressed in times of stress. It can be strained. And we see this often, especially during the holiday season. Tim prayed about that earlier. But you know what? When Peter penned this letter to the church, the church was under great persecution. You know, I can't even fathom the persecution the church was under at that time. But I, but I know this. I do know this. When we are under stress, we tend to take our stress out on others. Oftentimes, we take them out on the people that we love the most. And we tend to focus on their weaknesses. And we tend to focus on their faults. But yet, Peter is exhorting his readers to, above all, above all, keep on loving one another earnestly with love. Because love covers a multitude of sins. I don't want to gloss over this point. It, it, it is just so, so key. Um, those of you who know me, I love to run. I've been running for 45 years. I love to run, which means I love the, um, the sport of track and field. And, and when a sprinter approaches the finish line, the tape, right, they deliberately lean forward with every muscle taunt because they want to reach the finish line, all right? And, and athletes do this all the time, all right? They, 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 all their muscles are, 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 are tense, and they're putting everything into it to reach the finish line, whatever sport it is. That's what athletes do. And I think Peter takes this picture and applies it not to athletics, but to love. And he tells us to stretch every muscle we have in order to love one another. That's how important love is. But sometimes I think we take the word love and we make it too much, we make it into like a very general word. And I think that's a problem. So Peter gives us an opportunity to tangibly demonstrate love here. He says, this love also includes showing hospitality to others without grumbling, without the attitude. And so you must understand that hospitality was a big deal in that society. Oftentimes, we have to feed and lodge people for three, four days with no expectation of payment. And persecution in Rome was so intense at that time that many believers were put out of their house and they were hiding because they were in fear of being arrested. They needed hospitality. All through the Bible, uh, we, we see stories of church people showing hospitality to both Peter and Paul. But Peter says we ought, we ought to do this without grumbling. There, there, there's that attitude. Be willing to share what you have with those in need and doing it with the right attitude. In other words, I think the application here is 
We're called to be a good neighbor. So the question is, who are our neighbors? Obviously, those who live by us, but my personal definition is a neighbor is anyone God puts into your life. Maybe for a season, maybe for several seasons, okay? It's just key. Loving one another is so key. By focusing on loving one another, Peter says, you are obeying the command of our soon-coming Lord. We all know this verse, but it's, it's, it's a key verse. John 13, 34. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. But we especially need to love the people in the body of Christ. This is where it starts. It starts here. Because if we can't love the body of Christ, how can we love others? By the way, if we can't love each other, we're going to spend eternity together. We need to learn how to love one another. Okay? But it is so important for the body of Christ to love each other. You know what? If we're not loving one another, we're not a healthy church. And a health... An unhealthy church can't reach the world for Jesus Christ. Okay? So it starts with loving each other. Not only that, people are watching us. Trust me. Unbelievers, unbelievers are watching us. All right? And when they see a church that splits or are having issues, they see it. They say, you hypocrites. Several years ago, and I forget, maybe 15, 16 years ago, there's a church maybe 20 miles north of us. Lost their senior pastor. Lost their um, associate pastor. Going through a rough time, and the elders had a meeting. And the elders got into a fight. We had to call the police. What a terrible testimony that was. You know, the kingdom of God is hurt. Right? People are watching us. We need to love one another, because when we're healthy... Now is when we can reach the world for Jesus Christ. Okay, I digress. All right, we need to love one another because we need to be hospitable to one another. So let me ask you this. How hospitable are you? Right? Do you make time in your life to be interrupted? It's never the right time to offer someone your house. All right, how hospitable are you? When was the last time you invited Someone over for lunch or dinner who wasn't a family member or maybe a good friend. Have you ever invited a neighbor for dinner or for lunch? You know, I mean, do you allow people to be drawn into your life by the love you exhibit? Are you a love magnet? I mean, are people drawn to you because you just love the Lord? Just food for thought. Just food for thought. Let's move on. Verse 10. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. You know, one of the most common themes of the parables of Jesus which speaks of his return, believe it or not, is stewardship. Stewardship. A steward is a person given the responsibility to use his master's resources for his master's purposes. And God is the master. 
And you and I are his stewards. So remember, the gifts that God has given us are not technically ours. They belong to the Lord, which means he gives us these gifts not to build us up, okay, but to build the church up and to build others up, okay? We're to serve God and we're to serve others. You've heard this many, many times. It's not about us. And that's, that's a fact. It's not about us. But notice here that Peter uh, divides these gifts into two, ca- uh, two categories, uh, speaking gifts and serving gifts. Now, the speaking gifts are those uh, who speak the oracles of God. And obviously we know that includes um, preaching, uh, teaching. Uh, my opinion, I believe that also includes maybe witnessing, uh, even, even praying. Okay? But again, if you are a teacher, um, preacher, whatever, remember this. Okay? And, and this is really important. The Bible says that we must be sure that what we are saying always lines up with the word of God. Quite frankly... Your opinions and your ideas have no authority. Only the word of God does. Now, you can certainly share, this is my opinion, right? But that's all it is. It's our opinion. Uh, So please uh, be careful with that. Of course, we all know about the serving gifts. I think we're more familiar with those gifts. That would include anything done for the Lord or for someone else. Um, It could be anything like singing, playing an instrument, uh, nursery, you know, serving an awana, uh, maybe mopping the floor or making a meal, okay? doesn't really matter, but we must, anything we do to serve others is a gift of service. Um, but remember this, when we use our gifts, make sure you give credit to the one who, des- who deserves all the credit, okay? When we serve, we serve for God. Uh, I remember... Um, the founding pastor used to say this all the time. He says, always give credit to God. For example, if you say, what a beautiful day this is. He says, no. You say, what a beautiful day the Lord has made. Okay? We always want to give credit to, to the one who deserves credit. Folks, living like there's no tomorrow is not living recklessly. It's living responsibly. Because the soon return of the Lord should not cause us to panic but to pray, to one, to love one another more, to serve one another more. And look, our Lord has given us plenty to do before the Lord returns. Because he doesn't want us sitting around idly waiting for the Lord to return and not doing anything or complaining, oh, when is he coming, when is he coming? No, it's not what the Lord wants, okay? I am telling you, we need to be about our Father's business, all right? There's a lot of work to be done, Okay? Uh, and so here's the challenge for all of us. What are we doing for God as we wait for Jesus to come back? What are we doing? Are we sharing our faith? Are we throwing a party? Are we hanging out with our mother-in-law? You know? What are we doing? Again, if Jesus, if you knew Jesus was coming back tomorrow, I know we, won't, we don't know, but if you knew, what would you do? How would that change your life today? If you knew Jesus was coming back tomorrow at 6 p.m., what would you do this afternoon? Amen. Don't know. The time was the 19th of May. The year was 1780. The place was Hartford, Connecticut. 
At noon, the skies turned from blue to gray, and by mid-afternoon had blackened over so densely that men fell to their knees and begged a final blessing, believing the end was at hand. This is a true story, by the way. The Connecticut House of Representatives was in session, and while some men fell down and others clamored for an immediate adjournment, the Speaker of the House, Colonel Davenport, came to his feet, he silenced the crowd, and said these words. The day of judgment is either approaching or it is not. If it is not, there's no cause for adjournment. If it is, I chose to be found doing my duty. I wish, therefore, that candles be brought in. See, living like there's no tomorrow means living expectantly, but also means living responsibly. And again, there's been too many... Um, Stories of false teachers leading their church astray, waiting for the Lord, predicting a date that the Lord would return, selling their possessions and just waiting. We see this all the time. It's happened all the time. People quitting their jobs, selling everything they have, and just waiting for the Lord to come. If somebody tells you they know the date the Lord is ret uh, returning, that's not someone you want to follow. Scriptures are clear. We must live expectantly, but we also must live responsibly. And finally, we must live for his glory. Look at the last part of verse 11. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. This is such a key passage of scripture, folks. Because so many people live their entire lives and never make the connection between glorifying God and experiencing the greatest joy possible. We think getting what we want will give us joy. But let me tell you what, the highest and greatest joy you'll ever experience is when you live your life for the glory of Jesus Christ. Trust me, that will be the greatest experience of your life. And we need to remember that the Lord's return is not about us. It's not, okay? I, I, it's about his glory. And I get it. It, it. It's cool to think, yeah, when he comes, it's great. Because there are benefits, Right? When he removes his church, there are benefits. There, there's no more suffering. All right? um, there, there's no more persecution. Um, that, that's, that's wonderful. And we can thank the Lord for all these things because they're true. But listen, the only reason they are true is because Jesus will be glorified. And that is what this is all about. We can't miss this. Giving glory to our wonderful and awesome Lord. It's why the universe was created. It's why you're created. It's why God gave you your talent, your possessions, your body, your breath. And it's why he will return again to show off his glory. It is not about us. And let me tell you this, the greatest joy we'll ever, ever experience will be when we fall down before his throne and give him glory. And I cannot wait for that day. But again, listen, you don't have to wait someday for that. You can give him glory right now. You can do it now. Make it your aim to show off his good grace in your life. Focus fully on his glory. 
and you'll discover a life of lasting, satisfying joy. This is why we should live like there's no tomorrow, because our joy is not in tomorrow. Our joy is in magnifying him. I'm going to close with a cute story, and I'm going to have a testimony that I, I believe will really, really encourage you. Um, I hope you think this is cute. There was a new young minister who went to visit an old farmer who lived near his church. He wanted to get a feel for the spiritual state of the old fellow. He says, do you belong to the church family, asked the minister. No, I think they live two farms down, replied the farmer. No, 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 I mean, are you lost? Lost? Well, young fella, I've lived here 30 years. No, 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 I mean, are you ready for the judgment day? When is it? Asked the farmer. Well, it could be today. It could be tomorrow. Well, said the farmer, when you find out for sure when it is, you let me know. My wife will probably want to go both days. I will be avoiding my wife after this. Look, I know some of us may be confused about the details of Jesus' return, but Peter leaves no doubt about how we should live in light of the second coming. He tells us we should live expectantly, but responsibly, but also living for his glory. Are you living like there's no tomorrow? Are you living like there's no tomorrow? As I said in the beginning of my sermon, I don't dwell on this, about Jesus' return, but I do think about it often. And I think the reason I think about it is I know that when Jesus removes his church, there's going to be a lot of people still here, to include maybe some of my family members, my friends. And I struggle with that. I, I, I you know, I struggle. Because, obviously, I, I, I want people to know the Lord. I have a great urgency in my life right now uh, to exhibit Christ. In other words, to actually fulfill our own mission statement, to live to love like Jesus and help others to do the same. And I know that I'm failing miserably sometimes in doing this, but I want to exhibit Christ in every area of my life. I know I shared this, I think, the last time I preached, but this past summer, my wife and I were walking around Golden Beach where we live, and we're just taking a stroll down um, our street, and we're like six or seven houses down, and we're looking at a vacant lot by the water, just looking at the lot. And so the neighbor next to the lot came out and introduced himself to us and um, asked, would you live around here? I said, yeah, we live six, seven houses down. You know, showed him you know, where we live. He goes, oh, you're that pastor guy. <laughs> but then he says, yeah, my wife says every time she drives by your house, you never wave at her. No, it broke my heart. I mean, I was a basket case. I said, Kathy, is this, is this how my, neighbor, my neighbors are perceiving me, of being unfriendly? I, I didn't think I was doing it. I mean, I gave it some thought. And you know what? She was probably right. Because if she's driving by my house and she sees me, I'm probably in my front yard cutting my grass. 
all right? And all right, I'll admit it. You know, if I'm cutting my grass, I'm focused on my grass, all right? But I realize I can't allow this. I need to demonstrate Christ all the time. So now it took me 45 minutes to cut my front yard. Now it's an hour and a half. I got to wave at everyone, you know? So I'm like the waving fool of Golden Beach. But it's okay. It's okay. I need to love people. I need to reach people. They need to see that I'm different. And because of that, and again, I have this great sense of urgency. And because of that, it's actually changed how I pray now. Because now I'm praying for divine appointments. I'm praying for opportunities to share. I'm praying for opportunities to meet. And it's hard because I'm more of an introvert than an extrovert. All right? So I have to pray for those opportunities. And because I'm really dense, I have to pray, Lord, when you give me this opportunity, show me, speak to me, so I know, because I don't want to grieve the Spirit, quench the Spirit. All right? Well, I so appreciate two weeks ago talking with one of our church members who happens to be uh, an amazing teacher at our school. And... Um, she made a mistake by sharing the story with me because I told her, now you need to share it to, with the church. But she was sharing a story of what happened to both her and her husband as they were traveling uh, this past Thanksgiving. I'm going to ask Marcella Keith if she'd come. Um, and as I listened, I actually got goosebumps because she did all the things I'm praying about. One, she had a sense of urgency. And two, she was led by the Spirit and listened to the Spirit. And you know what? You need to hear it from her. Marcella, thank you. Hey, y'all. Um, I shared this with Pastor at a, thing, a pancake breakfast that we had at school because I was so blown away by what God had done. And, you know, girls, like when there's this really great sale that you cannot believe and you just have to tell your friends about it because, oh my gosh, can you believe this really happened? This is why I want to share this with you because it is not me. It's God. It's God and our walk with the Lord and how he places his love inside us. And if we, and what happens when we just share it. So after... Okay, people who know me know I'm not short-storied because I think details, like, make you live it with me, but that, does, that really doesn't happen. So I'm just going to, I've included a few, wrote it down, said I need to do this to keep it short-ish. Okay, so after traveling to North Carolina to spend Thanksgiving with my father, Nick and I were headed home when he said to me, Hey, Marcella, can you pull over there into um, AutoZone? Because I need to put some oil in the car. And um, I was like, sure. So um, unbeknownst to me, inside, I waited in the car. A woman asked Nick for directions to a hotel. And since I'm from Wilmington, he sent her outside to me where I was waiting. She and her mother were distraught after having driven around, lost for an hour, looking for their hotel. She couldn't follow the directions that I was giving her. I pulled out my phone, and I thought, don't they have a phone? And so I thought, okay, well, let me tell you how to get there. And as I was telling her, bless her heart. Now, she was probably about 60, mid-60s. And when I met her mother later, she was probably close to 80. Um, 
but um, she was having a difficult time tracking my direction. So about that time, Nick came out, and he saw what was happening. He said, well, why don't, why don't you just follow us, and we'll drive and take you there. And they said, the mom's, the daughter said, no, 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 that's too much. Just tell me. And we said, no, 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 it's okay. We'll take you. So they followed us. We got to the hotel, and at the hotel, I got out of the van just to say goodbye to them. And at that moment is when I met her mom. And um, her mom, and so you have to picture, right? So there's the car, and I get out of the van, and they roll down their window. And so I'm in the car like this. And I'm like, well, here we are. Um, um, so you're okay. And they're like, they are sitting there, red-rimmed eyes. The mother's about to cry. And she says, thank you so much. You are an angel. And I said, no, I'm not an angel. I said, I am just a lover of Jesus, who God placed there, placed here. Can you imagine in this auto zone for me to help you? That's how much God loves you. And so they said, we just thank you so much. And I said, well, let me, I asked them where they were from and what, you know, they said they're from Baltimore and where they were headed. They said they had rented out a cottage for the winter at North Myrtle Beach. And I thought, oh my word, they don't have anything to give them directions. And they got lost in Wilmington. And I thought, okay, well, let me pray for you is what I said. Can I pray for you? And so I prayed with over them and just said, Lord, thank you for this meeting and just for being able to help them in this situation. And so we prayed in the name of Jesus that he would continue to watch over them. And after I finished, I said, okay, so you can just have faith that just like this, and God put me in your path, he's going to, if anything else happens, he will put somebody in your path. So don't you worry. You're going to get there okay. And the daughter looked at me and she said, I don't have enough faith. I just don't have enough faith. I don't think I do. And so still, I'm like this, right? <laughs> Nick is behind me. And, I'm, and so at that moment, I thought, maybe they're not Christians. So I said, I don't normally ask these questions of strangers in the hotel parking lot. And so I said, are you Christians? And they said, no. I, I began to tell them how much God loved them and had sent Jesus to save us from our sins because he's holy and we're not. I told them of his love for us and I quoted Romans 10, 9 through 10. And I asked them if they had ever asked Jesus to be their Lord. And they said, no, we don't think, God really doesn't have time for us, I mean, to do that. He's got so many other things in his, on his plate to have to deal with. And I said, oh, no, he loves you so much, and God sent him for them, and that I believe this was a divine appointment. I said, God is like this, and he sends people like this, and this is exactly what he had planned. So I asked them then if there was anything stopping them from accepting Jesus as their Lord. Okay. Just the fact that this was crazy. So, and they said, no. And inside, I'm just thinking, what is happening? They said, no. And I said, well, do you want to uh, accept Jesus today? And they said, yes. And I said, okay, well, pray. Uh, well, let's pray together. And so I led them in a prayer. And we rejoiced at the end of it. Her mom is named Ishtar, and her name was Leisha. And so I was like this, thinking, oh, my gosh. And then I said, okay, so you need to know that um, 
I trust that God is going to, on this radio, he's going to, you're going to hear some Bible reading because that's how God reached me and led me to the moment of my being born again was through Christian radio. And I told them that the enemy will often try to make us doubt that we're saved. And I quoted Romans 8, 38, which happened to be the verse that happened. God is so fun. That happened to be the verse we were learning in Awana. And the girls were reciting to me. And I told them that nothing could separate them from the love of God and Jesus Christ. We spoke for a few more minutes and went our separate ways. We hugged and everything. And then... um, Nick, as Nick and I made it to the stoplight, right, so we're out of the hotel, and we're going to the stoplight, and I said, oh, I wish we had a Bible to give them, and I looked down, and in the door of the van, there happened to be a paperback Bible that Nick had, just for that purpose of giving away when the occasion rose, I said, honey, do you care if I give it to him? And he said, no, that's why it's there. So we turned around. We went back to the hotel, and they were just getting out of the car. And mom was in a wheelchair, so thankfully, you know, it took a little bit of time. And so I grabbed the Bible. And when I went to grab the Bible, I saw this book. This is so crazy, God. I saw this book that um, we had visited our daughter in North Carolina in the summer and picked up a couple of these books from the visitor's desk, and it says, Following Jesus. So I picked it up, and I glanced at it, and it says, Following Jesus, a new life. What's next? And it leads through scripture verses. And so I thought, Oh, my gosh, Nick, look. So I grabbed the Bible, and I went to this, and I said, Hey. And they said, Hey, we're so glad you came back. My mom does it. My mom likes to write. And so she said she wanted to send you a card and write you and keep in touch. I said, okay, well, look what I have. I have a Bible and I have this book. And so I'm I'm showing her the Bible real quick. And I'm like, okay, Old Testament, New Testament, this is where you want to read. And look, this book, this book, it says da-da-da. So I wrote my name in the front of it and address and phone number. And so... We hugged and um, left, and <laughs> you know, after a few minutes, and then we left, and then Nick and I were just blown away in the car, and that this had happened. These people were ripe for the harvest, and we had the blessing of seeing God work where All I did, all we did, was open our mouths and be kind to them and tell them about that Jesus loved them. And they were ready. God had it all planned. And I praise God. He has just shown me how he has it all ready. He's just asking us to open our mouths and tell them, tell people that he loves them. He'll bring them. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Actually, the story doesn't end there. Nick and Marcella, Marcella received a Christmas card from Ishtar and her daughter. They do a lot of writing. I'm going to read parts of it. It says, Mom, Mom and I thank you for helping us find our ways in Wilmington, one on the road and one with God and Jesus. 
Yes, I believe you're right. It was God's divine intervention for our paths to meet. It amazes me how you open your heart with love and kindness and shared with us an opportunity to embrace the Lord's light in life. It was a special meeting indeed. I will always remember uh, the empowerment, freedom, and spirit of your heart and soul. I thank you for giving us the Holy Bible and the book Following Jesus, which I have begun to read. Perhaps I can help you one day. Because Nick and Marcella live like there's no tomorrow. For Ishtar and her daughter, there is a tomorrow with Jesus. So I don't know that what it means for you to live like there's no tomorrow. But I know this. God may have to get us out of our comfort zones. All right? Whatever that may be. For me, waving to a neighbor. <laughs> okay? I mean, whatever it takes. But you know what? I'm going to pray and that's our challenge that 2020 we do that. The Lord may return soon. I'll be ready. Let me pray as the band comes forward. Lord, your word tells us that we should look to the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior. And we should because your word tells us to do that. And it will happen. Lord, we don't know when it will happen. We know that it will. Father, prepare us for that great day. But Lord, there's a lot of work to be done. I pray, oh Lord, that you'd help us as the people of Christ uh, to step out of our comfort zones or even be like the Keats and, and, and to be stretched and, and to share the gospel with a, a neighbor. Whatever it is, Lord, I pray that you empower us. And I pray, Father, as we head into a new year, it'd be a banner year and a year that you will be glorified. We ask and pray these things in Jesus' name.